anybody can cut together. I can cut together a clip of my UCLA basketball career and make you think I was a you know top ten pick. Like <laughs> with all the great, the, oh, look at all these jumpers he's making. And look at all this stuff. That obviously is not the full complete story. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode here on You Think, presented by Audiorama and Body Armor. Um, big weekend for us. The sports, the fall sports extravaganza has started in the Olsen house. I I've told you guys that for the first time ever, we're balancing, um, one of our kids doing two, you know, what I call, you know, major sports, meaning the fact that they practice multiple times a week, they have games on the weekend, not major in the sense that it's still youth sports, but major in the sense that it's time consuming. And, um, you know, so we had our first real experience with that this past weekend and I'd say it went better, better than expected. I think there was some anxiety and nerves. My wife and I were feeling like, did we bite off too, you know, more than we could chew? And it was making us anxious and stressful. And we felt like we were doing a lot of running around and were we really doing what was best, you know, for the kids. But now after settling in school has started settling into a pretty, you know, regular routine during the week of balancing all three kids and their respective um, practices and then games. It's actually worked out fairly well. So my, my younger son, he had his first uh, baseball tournament this weekend. So he's just playing baseball. So that's been, you know, fairly manageable. And um, they had a good first weekend His his team that I help coach um, here in Charlotte over Labor Day. So that, that was fun. And then um, my son had his second football game. The first football game last weekend that we opened we struggled. We did not play well. I think everyone was anxious and nervous and kind of revved up for the first game. Coaches included. There was a lot of chaos and kids weren't organized. It, it just wasn't what we were looking for. This weekend was much more in line with what we were expecting. The kids played really well. So that was a fun experience. And, uh, and my daughter opens up her soccer season next weekend. So we are starting to find our fall groove. Um, I'm going to start being on the road on the weekend. So my wife and our extended family obviously will be carrying a lot of the weekend burden. But um, for right now, I feel like we are finding our groove and, and managing the the multiple sport per kid uh, fall schedule that we've decided to undertake. So that's, uh, that's something that I'll continue to keep you guys up to speed throughout the fall. I know there's a lot of families out there that are dealing with dealing with similar calendars and, you know, the circus of after school carpools and getting to and from, you know, your practices with multiple kids and whatnot is, uh, can be a little stressful for everyone. So we, we're all in the same boat and trying to manage, uh, manage accordingly. Uh, today we have a really cool guest, you know, as promised, we, we try to sometimes have different conversations from people of all different sectors of the sports community, particularly things that we think are, are great resources and tools for families and coaches, um, of young kids that are managing, you know, the, the youth, sports scene. And and today's guest is just that today's guest. We have Josiah Johnson, Josiah. They call him the King of NBA Twitter. If anyone who's on social media, he has a huge presence. Uh, you know, he goes back and forth with LeBron and Jordan Peele and, and all these famous celebrities. And, you know, jo- we thought Josiah was such an interesting um, conversation because not only did he have his own sports background, his father was a legendary basketball player and he went to, you know, played in college and, but now his presence is really in, in not only, you know, the social media realm and understanding what plays on social and sharing videos and, you know, viral content, but he also spends a lot of time mentoring young kids into the, 
the good and the bad that comes along with social media. So I think in today's world where every young kid wants their touchdown to go viral and their big hit to go viral and their, you know, their, their mixtapes and, and their highlight films, they, they want to be discovered by colleges. They want to be discovered by travel teams and, and, and whatnot. We just thought it was a really interesting time and a, and a great person to talk who really understands how the world of social media works, um, what you can do to benefit from it, but then also what are some of the things that you need to watch out for and what are some of the, the negatives that, that come along with that we adults are very well aware of, but maybe a young kid you know, doesn't see the pitfalls of being so present and so kind of accessible in the world of, of social media. So I think today is going to be something everyone's going to be able to relate to. Um, you know, Josiah, he also co-hosts a podcast with Zach Schwartz and, um, LeJethro Jenkins called out of pocket where they break down all different NBA action and whatnot. So he's just a really well-versed guy and in, in, in not only sports, but the world of social media and how it overlaps with sports. So we are really excited for you guys to, to check out this interview today with, uh, with Josiah. Thank you as always to our sponsor, body armor, body armor, not only fuels this show, but it also fuels the chaos of the youth sports scene of the Olsen house and, and all of the the respective teams that we work with and coach with and assist with. And, and, uh, you know, as you guys by know, or by now are well aware of, of what that looks like. Um, you know, there's a lot of choices for your sideline sports drink, you know, for years now, my, my kids, when we go to a gas station or we go to the store, you know, they, they reach in the coolers and they grab body armor, you know, and, and there's a million other choices that they could grab, but that's just what our family has gravitated towards. So now to have them be a part of the pod and, and be a lar- be a part of this kind of youth journey, through the world of sports. Um, you know, my favorite are orange mango and strawberry banana, but again, there's a million to choose from. Um, body armor is made with coconut water, B vitamins, no artificial sweeteners. You can go to drinkbodyarmor.com for more information. So now please enjoy this conversation with the king of NBA Twitter, Josiah Johnson. Josiah, thank you so much for joining us here on You Think. I appreciate you having me, man. Obviously, I'm a big fan. So when you guys reached out, it was uh, an easy no-brainer to come on here and, and talk about this stuff. Before we dive into, you know, your use on social and just what you've seen from it and kind of the ever-changing landscape of how kids are using it, let's just touch a little bit. I mean, you grew up, you know, you're the, you're the king of NBA Twitter, but you really you grew up in an NBA household. Your father, um, five-time NBA All-Star. You, uh, him, your brother, him went to UCLA. Of course, so did you just talk a little bit about your upbringing around sports, your first experience, maybe as a player, your first experience, maybe realizing like, Hey, my dad is a, you know, he's a big deal. He's an NBA, you know, all-star just, just give us an idea of, uh, of what that looked like when you were growing up. I mean, it's crazy. Cause when I go back and look at it now and just how amazing it was, but when you're in the moment and experiencing, you don't really know anybody. That's, that's really all, you know? So my dad, Marcus Johnson, like you mentioned, he was the first Wooden Award winner at UCLA, uh, played with the Bucks and the Clippers and the Golden State Warriors, had an extremely successful NBA career, was kind of uh, cut short a little bit by injury. But we like to joke that, you know, when you grow up in Los Angeles and your last name is Johnson, it's already predestined that you're going to be a basketball player. That's that's there's no question about it. Uh, you know, Like you mentioned, my older brother, Chris, went to UCLA, won a national championship. My younger brothers all play college basketball. I got a younger sister now who's going to be a, you know, absolute beast on the court. And she's really getting into the love of it. But it was really hard, you know, early on, you know, first experiences I remember, my dad played in the All-Star game in Dallas. This was like 1986. I'm probably four years old. Remember, we went to go pick him up at LAX, and he had this uh, Nerf hoop. You know, we we go drive up. He's standing holding this big, big box Nerf hoop. And I remember just using using that thing, man. We, You know, the Nerf balls back in the day, they were like these foamy little balls. But by the time we were done with it, divots all in the ball, ended up like, you know, ripping the ball in half, still trying to shoot with it. 
but you're really just developing a love. And to my dad's credit, he never really tried to force or push any of this stuff on us and, you know, try to do his best to prepare us for what it meant to be a Johnson playing basketball in Los Angeles and, and following his pedigree and following his footsteps. But, you know, it, 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 as I got older, it got a little bit tougher. You know, I like to joke, now everybody knows me, King Josiah, King NBA Twitter. But for most of my, my formative years growing up, I was Marcus's son or Chris's brother. That's literally, you know, to this day, how some people still refer to me and recognize me. And it kind of causes a little little stigma in your head. And as, as a family, all the brothers kind of dealt with it differently, you know, but you can see there's been time for all of us where it's been a little bit traumatic, just not being able to live up, you know, to his shoes. Obviously, his jersey's retired at UCLA. And like you mentioned, he's an all-star NBA or pro basketball Hall of Fame finalist, all those type of things. You know, obviously, my career didn't pan out to that level. But like I said, to his credit, you know, he was always, you know, kind of low key with us, coach us all, you know, growing up in sports and stuff. And that that could be a little tough. And this is something that I, I notice now as I have kids now and I'm trying to coach them. I kind of see me acting kind of the same way he did. So he, he was intense. He was tough with us. But I think, you know, we were growing up in a time where, you know, coaches were yellers. They were screamers. Uh, they demanded the most out of us. But you knew deep down that they weren't doing that out of spite. They were doing that because they loved you and they wanted you to get better. So I'm super appreciative of him for for all the lessons that he taught me. And also, he was hands-on when he needed to be hands-on, and he was hands-off when he needed to be hands-off. But I think for me, like a, like a lot of kids out there, you know, I had some of my best games when he was there. When he wasn't around, there was just something about it where I couldn't play as well as when I was able to look over in the stands and see him looking back at me, you know, coaching me from the stands, smiling and giving me that encouragement. But yeah, I'm, I'm just truly thankful, obviously, for the opportunities that I've been able to have. Blessed uh, and fortunate to get a scholarship to play basketball at UCLA. That's kind of where my basketball career came to an end. But uh, now I've been able to do a lot of stuff in the space. So I'm, I'm super thankful for those experiences as a kid and as a youth and how they shaped me into the man that I am today. So, so talk about your time. You mentioned you're obviously playing in your father's shadow, playing in your brother, you know, kind of that legacy growing up there with, with, with everything your family had accomplished, the basketball presence that you guys had in Los Angeles and, and, and beyond, you know, so much of what kids face today, and, and it's not necessarily because their parent was a professional athlete or whatnot, but there are expectations, right? There are, you know, expectations for, you know, how you're supposed to act and what team you're supposed to make and how many points you're supposed to score. So, you know, so you talked about here's your father who's an NBA all-star, you know, wooden winner, just a, you know, iconic player, especially, you know, there specifically at UCLA. And you chose to follow in those footsteps. You know, you could have gone to another school. You could have gone to a school where maybe you could have been out of that limelight, but you, per you chose to follow in that path. Just speak a little bit about that, just what that experience was like. Now, looking back on it, you know, looking back, would you make the same decision again? Was it, did you just love putting on that Jersey with Johnson on the back and representing your family, which was such a, you know, integral part there at, at UCLA, or do you wish you, you paved your own path? I think that's a, that's something that kids and families are going back and forth on, you know, maybe not at UCLA, but just growing up in their hometown. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, I'm super proud of everything I was able to do. I don't, I don't I'm not the type that'll go back and look and wish to change things, but there are certain regrets. Uh, I was a you know a smart kid, had like a 4.3 GPA in high school, so was getting a lot of love from Ivy League schools and a lot of schools back east. And when I look back on it, you know, I always wonder, you know, if I would have made that decision, went to a school like Brown or went, you know, went to a school like Boston University or Princeton or something like that. How would my life be different? What would I be doing now? But I'm, I'm super thankful just for the opportunities. I mean, for me, I grew up in Los Angeles. Uh, we lived a stone's throw away from UCLA as a kid. So went to elementary school on UCLA's campus at a school called UES. Uh, spent a lot of my my young years on campus, was a ball boy uh, for my older brother's 95 championship squad. 
you know, went to all the UCLA basketball camps. It's funny, I used to go to those camps and, you know, everybody knows who I am when I go there. I wasn't really cognizant of it then, but you're getting preferential treatment, you know, while the other kids got to sit on the ground, you get to sit on, you know, a chair or a bench or whatever, and nobody's giving you any static. All the coaches are coming up to you, showing you love. So, you know, my college career didn't necessarily pan out the way I wanted to, and there was definitely some, some tough, dark times during that college experience where, you know, I made some decisions that weren't uh, obviously the best. But when I go back and look at, at those times, man, I don't regret anything. Uh, you know, of course, you know, I wish I would have worked out a little harder or maybe put a little bit more effort in on the actual court side of it. But, you know, to your point, I think kids nowadays, they it's, it's a tough situation, especially when we're looking at all these amazing contracts that they're dishing out in the NFL, the NBA, especially now with NIL and, and the college sports landscape. You know, it's big business and, and parents are very cognizant and aware of that. And to be able to get, a, you know, your education paid for with a scholarship or to be able to get opportunities to represent brands and things like that, it's a whole new landscape that we didn't really have the benefit of when we were in college. You know, I, I'm sure you could speak to this as well. I remember going to UCLA, you know, I, my dad played in the NBA, you know, I was well off. So I was, you know, super appreciative, obviously, of, of, of that ability. But there's a lot of kids that I played with that didn't have those opportunities, you know, had to the struggle for meals as crazy as that sound, couldn't afford to pay rent. You know, we're living in Westwood, which has some of the highest rents in the country. And you got to go two to three person in a one bedroom, which may, you know, may not sound bad. And I know that's a traditional college experience for a lot of people, but when you're an athlete and you're generating millions and millions and millions of dollars for these universities, you're playing underneath a coach who has a multi-million dollar contract, multi-million dollar shoe deal. And, you know, you've got to do some things that maybe, you know, weren't necessarily legal in those times, uh, you know, like they are now, but selling shoes or tickets or whatever it may be to be able to make ends meet. It's definitely, I think, something that parents are very cognizant of now where, hey, you know, my kid can be the next superstar. And the thing about it, when you, especially when you talk about youth sports, you look at, you know, the way all these parents operate. Everybody thinks their kid's going to be the next LeBron. Everybody thinks their kid's going to be the next Steph. And it's hard for them to kind of face that reality. And a lot of times they're, they're living vicariously through their kids for kind of all the things that they wish they could have done when they were a kid. And I think, you know, you put a tremendous amount of pressure on these kids, which, it's very difficult to do, especially in an age now where social media dominates everything. Man, it's crazy. I was watching, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on the internet all day, every day. But there was a clip. Kids are playing like AAU ball, probably, you know, 14, 15 years old. Kid gets dunked on. The entire gym, you know, circles him, and they're all doing this in his face. You know what I mean? Just like, and I'm just looking like, I don't know how I would have been able to handle, you know, situations at times like that. Because you know right away when those things happen, you get your ankles broke or, you know, somebody hits a jumper in your face or whatever it may be. Everybody's got a camera in these gyms now. You know, those clips are going to go viral. And kids really, you know, I, I don't I don't really envy the position that they're in now with all these different factors out there. And for me, it's also just allowed me to become a better person in terms of how I move on social media. In my younger years, was a lot more petty, a lot more disrespectful. You know, I've always had a level of respect for professional athletes and athletes of all, you know, from all all backgrounds, but ultimately would do and say things. You know, social media gives you the ability to, to hide behind a mask and hide behind this account and tweet from home and say things to people's face, or say things, you know, to people that you would never say to their face. So. It creates this kind of, I think, stigma definitely nowadays where I see it so much just, just how toxic, you know, social media platforms, a place like Twitter has become where kids will say the most out-of-pocket reckless stuff uh, to their favorite athletes or to other kids, knowing that they won't have to see them ever face-to-face. -face. And a lot of times I'll kind of just be monitoring this stuff behind the scenes and the kids don't even mean it. They're just saying it, you know, to troll, to get a little bit of clout, to get some likes. You know, that's what kind of everything is based on now. You put a, a tweet up or an Instagram post up or a TikTok up, you know, you want those likes, you want that instant gratification. That's what people now have associated with, you know, validation. Hey, I, I get enough likes on this post, you know, I'm validated now and people like me. So like I said, I don't envy the position that kids are in now. 
And for me, I just try to do my part now to help, you know, be an example now of how to operate and how to move on social media. Yeah. So that, and again, that, that's a huge part of, of why we think this conversation is going to be so helpful and so relevant is because, you know, I'm, listen, I'm a dad, you're a dad. My kids are a little older than yours. So they're on social media. They're on TikTok. Every time a guy jumps over there, you know, tapping their head, Ted, you know, we used to call it, you got mossed, right? When we were growing up, you'd get moss. Now they're head topping or whatever they call it. And they're banging it. It trying to keep up with where they come up with all this stuff is like a whole full-time job. So I want to stay in this world, but I want to start with first, I want to start with the, the positive nature, right? You see, you know, I'm on Instagram, you're on Twitter. We're all on, on every social platform. And my feed is college recruiting, you know, of high school kids, uh, viral moments of a kid in the gym, like you mentioned, whether it's a dunk or whether it's, but what I see a lot of, a lot of the content is curated and, and directed by the families. It's, you know, overtime and the, the different feeds that you can follow on, on Instagram and whatnot. A lot of these families and kids are putting out their own content. They're putting out their own highlight reels, their own, you know, whether it's football, basketball, the baseball showcases, whatever it is, like just what is the good that now is coming out of that? It, are colleges looking at this stuff? These viral moments that we're all seeing, are they making their way to the top, to the people who at the end of the day are the decision makers? Like all the time and effort these kids are putting into their social media platforms, are they able to reap the benefits of it? Yeah, I think, as you mentioned, like, you know, there's there's tons and tons and tons of positives of social media. So you don't want to really belabor the negatives. But the way that social media is now giving kids an opportunity to, to get discovered, to get seen, to be able to be found by coaches, scouts, you know, recruiters, all, all those those different type of things. You know, back when we were coming up, you know, you had all the rankings and all this and all that. But I always just used to laugh at those because it's like, are you, you mean to tell me the guy who put together this list? has has looked in depth at every single one of these players been to all those games so a lot of stuff was hype buzz mystique you know a guy's name may be buzzing you know it was who's the top sixth grader who's the top seventh grader and even back then those guys i feel like was succumbed a little bit to that pressure because when they walked in the gym everybody knew who they were even still prior to social media but i think looking at it now man you know we, we look at all the good that social media is able to offer like you mentioned you got families now that are able to put together highlight reels or packages or get their kids opportunity i'm seeing kids all the way in Africa, you know, putting together highlight reels and throwing it up on their social media and being able to get opportunities to come to the United States and get a college scholarship or get an opportunity to play in the, the G League at night or overtime elite or any some of these other leagues. So it, it, it's definitely a tremendous opportunity. And even looking at my own personal story and struggle, you know, I, I got so many kids and so many people who look up to me now who want to carve out a, a life in social media. 15, 20 years ago, this wasn't a job that existed. Now it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Every team has a, a social team, every every company, every corporation, every single brand, you know, they're trying to figure out how to get involved in the social landscape and social discussion. So, you know, even for somebody like myself, who's been able to connect with people like you mentioned, Jordan Peele, John Legend, Ava DuVernay, you know, LeBron James via social media, these are opportunities I would have never been able to create for myself, you know, potentially maybe, but they would have been so much more difficult to actually attain where now, you know, you could put up a piece of content, throw up a tweet, whatever it may be. And you see all the success stories. So many, I think of a guy like, you know, Chase Griffin at UCLA, who's a backup quarterback, but has been able to take advantage of NIL really just by putting himself out there and reaching out to people and following people. I remember he followed me and I kind of, you know, we went back and forth and just talked, talked a little bit and just looking at what he's able to do now and how he's able to, to, you know, benefit his life and benefit his family from the use of social media. So I think social you know, at its core is, is an amazing thing. And it's an amazing opportunity to be able to get your tape out, be able to get your highlights out all across the planet, you know, all points of the world. 
And, you know, you're going to have to deal with some of the, the negative aspects of it as well. As we mentioned, there's cameras, you know, in every single gym now. Everybody's a journalist. Everybody has the ability to be a journalist now. As crazy as it sounds, you know, any of us can break news now. If you're, you know, at some random youth football game or whatever and something happens and you record that and you upload that video, that thing has the potential to go viral, to go mainstream and to really elevate you and, and put you in positions that are going to be really beneficial to you and your family. So for all the, the negative stuff we talk about social, there's definitely a tremendous amount of positive. And it really warms my heart when I see, you know, a kid I've been following for a couple of years that didn't have any scholarship opportunities, but he's been consistently posting to his account, consistently reaching out to coaches, you know, tagging them. And it's funny, I played at, at UCLA and we had a coach there by the name of Kerry Keating. And uh, Coach Keating was so far ahead of the times just in terms of how he recruited, that was still a gray area back then. But he was he was following all these guys on instant messengers and have, he had the sidekick back in the day. And he was able to have conversations with these guys and create real opportunities for these guys that otherwise wouldn't have been available. You know, way back in the day, it was, look, you got a bunch of letters. That was cool. You know, you had school sending you five, ten letters a day to make you feel wanted. Coach, I think, call you once or twice or whatever it may be. Now these coaches are following you on Twitter. They're following you on IG. They're following your TikToks. They're, they're, they're all over the place. But it's created so much of an opportunity for people to, you know, create a, a better life for themselves. So I think for me, especially, you know, I'm, I'm a living testament to that, just the power of social media, how it's able to open opportunities for people and how it's able to advance your career, whatever that may be in your, your sports life and in your uh, post-sports life as well. All right. So, so stay in the basketball world, just because I know, you know, obviously you, you know a lot more about it than I do. You, you, you're in those circles. You understand it at the highest level all the way through the competitive youth level. So, you know, the overtime elites and you mentioned the G league and you mentioned these kids maybe in far off places, whether it's in America, you know, under the radar, or as you mentioned over in Africa and some of the international um, locations that, you know, are trying to make it here to America to play in the NBA. So when these kids now are posting their stuff on social, are, are these leagues, teams, AAU organizations, whoever they may be, are they scouring the internet? Are they scouring social media, Instagram and Twitter? And when they come across these videos now, is that like the first contact and they're saying, Hey, you know, I'm finding you now because you happen to post, you know, regularly. And I think your traits are good. Your qualities. I, you posted some highlights of your game and maybe a smaller unknown league or a team. Like are kids able to elevate themselves in the competitive, you know, youth circles, whether it's to get recruited by a college, make, you know, the overtime stuff, the travel ball, like, is that, is that happening on a daily basis solely off of the film these coaches or these league organizers are finding on Instagram or TikTok or whatever you want to, whatever, whatever it may be? I mean, I think definitely when you talk about, you look at the landscape of sports, especially in, in the high school space, obviously you've got your, your blue chip, your five-star, your four-star recruits. Those guys are easy to find, right? They bring the attention to them. Then you've got guys that are kind of diamonds in the rough, guys that, you know, we've all known and played with and played against that deserve a lot more love or credit for the things that they're doing, and they're really just not getting it for whatever reason it may be. So coaches nowadays, I think, are, are so savvy that they're going to explore every option, you know, to be able to to keep their jobs, right? So I got to find that, maybe that diamond in the rough guy, you know, we missed out on this one quarterback or we missed out on this one point guard, but hey, I found this other guy that, you know, nobody knows about that, you know, I discovered he's got 20 followers on his Twitter account, whatever it may be. 
And, you know, I'm looking at clips. But the thing about all this stuff, I think social media in general, obviously you want to project the best image of yourself. So that's why they call them highlights, right? You know, they're not putting the lowlights up. Anybody can cut together. I can cut together a clip of my UCLA basketball career and make you think I was a, you know, top 10 pick. Like, <laughs> with all the great, the, oh, look at all these jumpers he's making. Look at all this stuff. That obviously is not the full, complete story. And that's what I that's think fair. a lot of people try to convey on social media, whether it's taking photos in front of the nice cars or, you know, we've seen so much of it now, people pretending to take photos in the private gen is really a spot over here where you can go, you know, take your Instagram photo and what looks like a private jet to convey this life that you live that's not really accurate. So obviously coaches are going to do their due diligence. And on the positive side, the plus side, yeah, it, it creates opportunities for players to, to get scholarships and do things like that. But on the other side too, and I see this so often as well, you got kids that that don't move correctly on social, right? They, they're bad-mouthing their team. They're bad-mouthing their coaches. They're blaming people. They're, they're using language that that's super vulgar and inflammatory and, you know, saying things that are not putting their best foot forward. So there's ultimately times as well where you're costing yourself a scholarship, or you're costing yourself an opportunity. And I see the same stuff in the social side where I work. I've really got to reach out to people. You know, nowadays, everybody, you know, they want to put you on the Summer Jam screen, right? They want to, you know, put that tweet out and hope you get, you know, ratioed and hope everybody sees it and, and bullies you and puts you down. But when I see those type of things happening, like I can easily leverage my following to do things like that. But I prefer... I'm just sending a DM like, look, man, it's probably not the, the best idea for you to be talking like this or this person you're talking to can create opportunity for yourself that you probably don't even know about. So I always like to say, don't don't fumble a bag that you don't even know you may have. You know, you know, don't don't ruin an opportunity that you didn't even know existed yet because you're doing something that's that's unintelligent, that's not smart, that that's in the moment that you're not really thinking about the long term. And that's the thing about social media. This stuff lasts forever. Right. We've seen it countless times where people, you know, essentially ruin their career from one post and whatever the post was, whether it was malicious or an intentional, whatever it may be, society doesn't care about that. You know, a lot of, a lot of people on social media move the way the wind blows. So if they see somebody jumping on somebody and attacking them, it makes them feel good to jump on somebody as well. Right. They love to, to pick on people when you see that happening, everybody wants to get in on it because it makes them feel good about themselves. And again, candidly, I used to be a person who was like that. So when I look now, I'm 40 years old, I'm at a different stage in my life. So I really look at myself as more of a mentor, kind of, a, you know, even like a father figure to a lot of these kind of younger people where it's like, look, this is not the appropriate way to move on these platforms. You have no idea. Like I work a lot in Hollywood. Imagine if, you know, I get into a, an Internet beef or some, something like that, a Twitter beef with somebody. And then think about all the people who may want to hire me for stuff that now look at that. And what are they going to say? You know, I'm not going to hire this guy so he can do that to me down the road. Like you always got to be cautious and mindful of, you know, not the people even who you know who are looking at it, the people that you don't know. And that's the one thing about social media. You don't know who's looking at your profile. You know, I, I didn't know that LeBron James was looking at my tweets until he, he you know, quote tweeted me and we ended up having a conversation. But now if I'm on there bad-mouthing LeBron or, or bad-mouthing Kevin Durant or whoever it is, these guys, I think especially with an athlete like KD, who's very cognizant of what the conversations are around him and, and very willing and open to, you know, go head on with whoever. It doesn't matter how many followers you have or if you're in the media. If not, anybody he feels like is, is disrespecting or slighting his name, you know, you just don't want to put yourself in those positions. So for kids, I definitely just would encourage them to, you know, be smart about everything that they post. And, you know, a lot of people will think, oh, well, that doesn't really apply to me. And it definitely does. It applies to everyone, you know, because like I said, you don't want to cost yourself an opportunity down the road where you might have a great opportunity to get a scholarship or to get a great job or whatever it may be. And then they go dig up some old tweets. I've seen it happen at least probably 25 times in the industries that I work in. You know, somebody's on that pathway to success. We see it every uh, NFL draft, every NBA draft. But, oh, what about this tweet he posted eight years ago? 
you know, with inflammatory language or that was disrespectful to women or whatever. And, you know, these are things that you see it so often. It's like eventually somebody's got to catch on and hopefully figure out that that's just not the way to go. And a lot of kids, to their credit, they don't move like that. They move very intelligently. They do all the right stuff. They project the right image of themselves, you know, socially, but also on on the, the opposite side of that. There's so many kids who don't do that. And you just look, and I just shake my head, and it's like, man, you're costing yourself an opportunity. And, you know, I don't want to be the old get-off-my-lawn guy, but, you know, delete that tweet or take that down or, you know, apologize for that, whatever it may be. Like, you got to be the bigger person because that short-term gratification that we get by, you know, trolling an athlete or saying something crazy or blaming somebody else for our, our, our shortcomings and problems, long-term, it's going to cost you opportunities. Yeah, I think that's such good. You know, a, a lot of our families, Josiah, that you know, a lot of our viewers that listen to this are, are parents and coaches, and you know, high school and teenage kids. We hear from all throughout the country. So I just think for them to hear from someone like yourself who has such a reputable brand, and you know, not only in the world of social media, but as you mentioned in Hollywood and and different production stuff, both network and cable, you know, and streaming. Just you've been involved in a lot of different projects at a lot of different angles. I think it's just great advice for them to hear from somebody. And again, to hear you candidly say, hey, you know, years back, maybe I was a little closer to that, you know, that approach and that path, but I've, I've learned this and, and, and take a different approach. I think that's super valuable for them. Something else that I'm curious, how, you know, what, how you advise the kids that you said, you know, you mentor and you kind of see yourself as their big brother figure in this, in this space as they're kind of learning it is, you know, like anything with the good comes the bad. And, and for a lot of these kids, social media is making young celebrities, you know, Mikey Williams and, you know, Arch Manning, you know, we're seeing a lot of kids that otherwise we would have had to wait until they were in college, until they were playing on a big screen, you know, March Madness or to be a real household name. But the reality is youth sports is creating celebrity. And the reason behind that is social media, right? My kids know every single high school basketball player, every single high school baseball and football player, because they see their TikToks, they follow them on TikTok, they follow them on Instagram. But with that, When these kids walk into a gym or these kids walk onto a field, everybody in that gym, not just because they're in the local hometown, but when they travel anywhere in the country, when that kid walks on the gym, he's got a, he's got a target on his back. And and I'd be curious, you know, what you've seen, you know, some kids handle it great, right? LeBron's had a target on his back since he was 16 and, you know, has handled it. But a lot of kids, it, it could be crushing. It could be debilitating that, that pressure at a young age. So, you know, what is your advice to those families and to those kids who are using social in such a way that they're raising their, their platform and they're raising the, you know, the, their Q score, but at the same time, now they got to deal with the ramifications of being a celebrity in an AAU gym at 16 years old and maybe not being equipped to handle it. Yeah, I think, you know, you never really, I don't think you ever really reach an age where you're equipped to handle it. We are all emotional, social creatures, right? Nobody likes to be chastised. Nobody likes to be put down. And even me, I've I've dealt with social now for a good seven, eight years. And I like to say, I have super thick skin, but there's even people that'll say stuff to me that'll get under my skin. And all it takes is that one person. You know, I'll give you an example that maybe will help your viewers kind of understand. I, I tweeted something about Michigan State years ago. Uh, ended up getting getting to it with his account. We're going back and forth, talking crazy to each other. So I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to look this person up and see who it is. You know, do a little digging, find out it's like a 68-year-old woman in Michigan that I'm literally having this, this crazy argument with. In my head, though, I've painted her as this, you know, 30-something, whatever, just, you know, I don't even know. But you create these things with these avies and behind these accounts where you don't really know who's behind it. And like you mentioned, a guy like Mikey Williams. I think about a guy like Bronny James. Bronny, you know, it's literally like the Truman Show. We've lived our whole lives 
watching Bronny, you know, grow to the person that he is. Every single gym he goes into, everybody knows that's LeBron James' son. And to his credit, you know, he's had a couple of slip-ups, nothing major, nothing that we as kids all didn't do in our time. But the sad part is, you know, when he gets caught doing something, now it gets magnified at such a high level that it's on first take and it's on every mainstream media show and, and everybody's talking about it. So it's really unfortunate and disappointing that, you know, you know, I like to kind of say, I don't, I don't ever involve kids, you know, no, no, no family, no kids in, in anything that I do just out of respect and, and love for athletes. But these kids now, they live in such a different world where I think, you know, we've seen, you know, a guy uh, that I'm a big, big, big fan of Kevin Love went to UCLA as well a little bit after me. But start talking about this, the mental health aspect of it and how these are real people and how they deal with those type of things. I can only imagine now as a 14, 15, 16-year-old, like you mentioned, walking into a gym and every single person knows who you are. You know, you may have to pick your nose or something. You got 30 cameras just looking at you, somebody waiting just to catch that moment, that gotcha moment. Ha, look at this person. And like I said previously, they'll formulate their whole opinion about you and who you are based on that one isolated clip. Like, it's funny, I, I watch all these basketball clips now and the caption will be something super inflammatory or, or, or obviously attention grabbing, like, oh, this dude got cooked in the gym. And it's literally like one clip of somebody scoring a basket. And it's like, that's two points that, you yeah, know, right. we, we didn't see the, the rest of the day or whatever it may be. So you can just project this image and really create whatever narrative you want off of one clip. I was, I think it was like James Harden uh, was getting guarded by like Scotty Barnes or something like, and they were like, I mean, he locked, he locked James Harden up the whole day. And then, you know, I got a couple of buddies who run the game and it's like, that's not what happened. Like he stopped them on that particular play, but they went back and forth and did it. So even for kids now to be in those same situations, man, where they they walk in. And again, it's weird. You know, we first kind of saw with like the ball is life and the hoops mixtapes and and those those different companies that were putting together these highlight packages. Kids started to become a lot more cognizant of the cameras in the gym. And, you know, back when we were coming up, it didn't matter. If you saw any type of camcorder, you thought that was ESPN. You didn't know any better. No like, doubt. You know, so like, true. Oh, there's a camera here. So oh, true. That could be ESPN. <laughs> that could be anybody. We're now it's literally ESPN it and the, all the those local people. News, the local news would come cover your practice in high school. And it was, you had your uniform was cleaned. You had your, I mean, you were ready to go. It's so true. Yeah. You know, fuck. Uh, public access, whoever it may have been, but you saw a camera in there. You saw a camera and you, you, but now these kids, it's 20 cameras in there. It's 30 cameras in there. In addition to everybody has a camera on their phone now. So they play a lot to the camera. And I'll even find during games, you know, in games, you're supposed to be locked in focused. They're looking off. They score a bucket. They got to flex for the camera. Now do a little something and not get back on defense and give up a bucket. But to them, you know, they know that other part's not going to be included in the highlight tape, just them flexing and talking and doing whatever. So a little bit of that is concerning to me. You know, I look at a guy like Mikey Williams, like you mentioned, and Mikey's lived his literally entire, you know, youth basketball career in the public guy, you know, been one of the top ranked players in each one of his grades since he was like sixth, seventh grade. I remember him and Bronny playing together. And I'm a grown man. I know you're a grown man as well. I'll, I'll be watching these highlights. Yo, yo, like these kids are all, I mean, comparing them to my own experiences, but also having a respect for him that, you know, no matter how their career pans out or shapes up, you know, a lot of times, especially in the media, they build you up to tear you down. Right. So everybody's your biggest fan. They love you all. Then, then when it doesn't pan out now, they're, you know, they're, they're pooping all over you and, and saying what happened to this person or, or, or disrespecting you. And that's the stuff I see, as you know, it's so hard. I'm sure there's a lot of guys you play with, maybe even guys that, that you might've thought were better than you that didn't reach the level that, that you were able to reach. Cause it's so hard to make that step from high school to college. And then from college to the pros is a whole other level. I think a thing that, that people don't really consider, right? Like everybody in college for the most part was the best player on their high school team, right? Now you get to the pros, everybody in the pros 
was definitely the best player on their college team. So now you're basically weeding those numbers out. And it's a simple numbers game. There's 30 teams in the NBA, I think 15 roster spots for each team, plus or minus two-way guys or whatever. That's 450 jobs, right? I think, you know, millions and millions and millions of kids play basketball around the world. Simple math is going to tell you that 99.9% of them are not going to be able to reach a certain status. So, you know, really use those experiences when you're at them. If, if your career ends in junior high school, high school, college, whatever it may be, it just is what it is. But, you know, especially in a world now with, with social media and how it functions, so many people want to tear other people down, right? We want to elevate the stars and the heroes. I think of a guy like LaMelo Ball, who to me was kind of one of the first real rock stars of social media, just in terms no of being 13, 14, 15 years old, millions of followers, Every gym he showed up to, obviously, especially because of his dad, who was a you know world-class promoter and marketer, every gym he showed up to, everybody knew exactly who he was. And he had to to live up to a certain standard. And, you know, you have one bad game and that thing's going to follow you for for days and weeks and years, you know. So it's just it's just it's being able to balance that. And I think it, it really rests a lot on on parents and family and the support system around a lot of these kids to be able to, to tell them, you know, people like to say social media is not real. I, I completely disagree. It's very, very real. But it's basically where you go from those type of things, right? Nothing is permanent. And it's such a hard space to live in nowadays in the, in the youth sports community where, you know, again, you get mossed or you get dunked on or whatever happens. And that thing is going to follow you for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years, right? It's, it, it, it lives on social now. A lot of these sites, like you mentioned, the overtimes, the house of highlights. And I'm so keen on, on how, you know, social works. They'll reuse these clips every three to four months. So these clips never really age in terms of, you know, it's never really, oh, this one one clip happened, now we've all moved on. 10 years from now, I remember that dunk on that kid. So I always try to be mindful of the other side of it, right? For every winner, there's a loser. For everybody on, on the one side, there's somebody on the opposite side who's getting impacted by it differently. And just to see the way that, you know, especially in gyms nowadays, how crazy, like I told you, the, the kid got dunked on, literally the entire gym stopped the game, something that you would have never seen growing up in youth sports to go, mock this kid and I'm just like damn if I was that kid how how would I react to that moment and you know a lot of kids and it's not about a toughness thing or whatever it's just you know you, you walked into the gym that day you know and this is just a part of basketball I remember Kendrick Perkins who I'm friends with he got dunked on in the game he's basically like yeah my teammates are not gonna respect me if I don't go try to block that shot that's my job you know as a, as a big man to go try to stop him from scoring and we play such a premium now on getting dunked on and it's the end of the world that guys will literally you know deliberately not go play defense hard if they see a guy coming to the rim because of just, hey, I could block this shot, but no matter how hard I block this shot, that'll, that won't be anywhere near, you know, the level of reach and virality if, if I get dunked on. So ultimately, oh, yeah. it's not worth me. I'm going to completely shift the way I play defense now because I don't want to get crossed over. I don't want to get dunked on. And these were just things that, you know, when I was coming up, that was just a part of life. Like, you got dunked. If, if you were a big man, inevitably, you were going to get dunked on. You were going to dunk on some people yeah. too. But, but it never left the gym. It never yeah. left that gym. You might have made the nightly highlights, right? It might have been on Sports Center, and and then it was gone, and it was never to be seen again. And I think that's the part that concerns me a little bit. What I see with these kids, they take such stock. They take it means so much to them what the social media and what the public opinion of them is. You know, I, I so I had a so a, you know a, a personal experience with it. My nephew plays at the time. I want to say he was like 11. He was maybe 12. He was young and he was playing pretty competitive, uh, seven on seven football down in Florida. And they were at a big tournament, either in Miami or in Tampa, like one of the big, uh, national showcase seven on seven tournaments. And a kid on the other team, I guess was a good player or whatever. And he made a pick 
He intercepted the ball down in the end zone and made it onto like the local seven on seven account. And then that account got ripped and put onto one of those big, like five, 600,000 followers that just curates and just, you know, puts up youth sports content highlights. Right. So now all of a sudden what started at this one tournament in Florida and the, the, the message on Instagram was about the kids interception, but you know how these kids all follow these accounts. And it very quickly got back to my nephew that he was the kid throwing the ball. Well, then you click on the comments and it's like, what a trash ball. This kid's never going to make it. What? So my sister-in-law, my wife's sister calls me and she's like, you know, what do I say to him? What I was like, I'm going to, and my message to him was these people you're spending so much time worrying about, and maybe we worried about him more than he actually handled it pretty well. But I guess my point is these kids, not, not him, but just in general, they care so much about the comments. How many likes did it get? How many views did it get? And then the people who really matter, your mom and your dad, your teammates, your coaches who are telling you like, dude, you had a great game. You, all right. So the kid picked you off. Fine. It's seven on seven football. You throw the ball on every snap. You're going to throw a pick, but the opinions of strangers matter so much more than the opinions of the people in their life. Like to me, that's something we need to try as adults to like get that message out and wrap our heads around how we can equip these kids to operate within this world. Very, you know, that you just described so clearly, like, how do we do that? It's a tough thing, man. And I think, you know, just figuring that out, but like you mentioned, you know, people like yourself, like, you know, we got a, You got a, an elite NFL tight end reaching out to you, telling you it's not a big deal. I'm more inclined to listen to those type of people, but it, it's tough. I think in my own life, I, I remember, you know, LeBron called me the goat at one point and that's a great moment. Really cool. But I'm still fixated and fascinated on that random account with the eggshell Abby who told me I was an idiot or I was the dumbest person ever. And that's just, I think, human nature. But we gravitate more. You know, it's like LeBron, literally one of the greatest basketball players ever, you know, singing my praises. I don't think about that. I think about all these other troll accounts or bot accounts that tell me I suck and they hate me and all these other type of things. <laughs> and I hold on to those more. But I think kids got to just understand that this thing is not going to change, right? If anything, it's only going to get worse. Social media is only growing. It's only getting bigger. But to your point, your nephew, he could have thrown 10 touchdowns in that game. But that one bad play, that one interception, that one, you know, you know, Bill Buckner moment, whatever it may be, that's going to follow him for the rest of his life to the point where nobody's even going to talk about all the great stuff he did. And it's unfortunate. It's a sad aspect of social media, one of the negative sides of it. But I think that's why it's so important to have a support system, right? People that are there, that are in your corner, that are rocking with you. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, this is all just sports, man. This is not, you know, we, we have so much stuff. We were just coming out of a pandemic. We see so much stuff going on in this world that really matters. You know, sports is a game. It's supposed to be fun. Yes, it's a game that you can make a lot of money playing. But at the end of the day, you're supposed to be able to have fun doing it. There's going to be great times. There's going to be bad times. You're going to win some. You're going to lose some. You know, nobody nobody's has played sports their whole life and just won every single competition that they were in. So it's really how do you adjust? And again, you could win, you know, 70, 80, 90 games, but you're going to think about that one loss more than you're going to think about all the positives and all the, the good moments. So for me, for them, you know, the advice I would just give to the, the parents and the kids out there is just, you know, really, really instilling your kids that, you know, it's just sports. It, it, there's so much more other important things in life and don't let sports define who they are as a person, right? Everybody, I think a lot, especially, you know, I remember me being a UCLA athlete. We got the UCLA sweatsuit in the backpack 
and that defined who we were on campus, right? We all wanted to walk around. I know the football players were the same way. You know, I'd wear the sweatsuit five days a week because that, you know, everywhere I went, now everybody <laughs> so knows so it's your uniform. Like, oh, okay, yeah, no, he's got the he's got the backpack with his number on it. He must yeah, he's, be he's on the team. He's on the yeah. team. He's he plays. He plays. Yeah. And I dealt with that even my my own career. I remember coming in as a freshman. Everybody's like, oh, you're going to be the next All-American. You're going to be this. You're going to be that. You know, it doesn't pan out. And then it's right, right away. Like, all right, who's coming in next year? We don't care about yeah, this kid anymore. Who's the next guy we can rally behind? So really just dis- distinguishing who's really in your corner, who really supports you, who really has that real love for you and where the fake love is coming from. There's a, you know, when, you, when your career is going well and everything looks great, you're going to get a ton of fake love. Everybody's going to love you and, you know, invest in you emotionally and, and, and treat you like you're the best thing ever. And then when those things don't happen, you know, you just watch how quickly they jump off ship. So really just be mindful and key in on those people who are there for you no matter what you know I have a good game I have a bad game my mom and dad are always going to be there for me good game hey great job keep it going bad game hey this is what you need to do you know you know shake it off kind of look look forward to the next one but like you mentioned it, it's so crazy now that this stuff basically lives forever right and all it takes is one of those big accounts grab it put it up you know misconstrue the caption misconstrue whatever the truth was in, in whatever that situation was and now it'll take on a life of its own and people will formulate their own opinions. And yeah, I can only imagine now looking at a comment wall. And like I always like to say, you know, those people who are calling your nephew trash or saying whatever, like what have they done? You know what I mean? Nothing. Like, I, I, got nothing. People that, I got people that are bad mouth me. Oh, your career at UCLA wasn't that good. Just like, where did you get a college scholarship to? Of like, course. Where, where did you, like, you know, and, and a lot of times, again, those people are projecting their own shortcomings, their own inequities onto you because that's that's the only way that'll make themselves feel better so as kids it's something you know kids i think when we were coming up we had to have thick skin in in other ways because obviously we had coaches that were super in your face and yellers and screamers and that's kind of the way it had always been now that's kind of shifted where you have to be super mindful of that because there's always just parents around or whatever it may be but now it's in a different way because now you got to get that from you know people that you'll never meet in your life but those comments hold so much weight when you see them, you know, the comments of support, of course, but then the negative comments always so much more weight. Again, you can get a thousand positive comments. Somebody's like, Greg, you suck. Well, you know, you go into a stadium, of course. 90,000 people cheering for you. It's that one person. You suck. I'm a kid on him. Like, what, I'm going to kill like? him. I'm going <laughs> to kill him. Yeah, it's so true. It's so it, it's so true. I saw a really interesting uh, quote, I think just the other day, and it's right along the lines. It said, you know, most of the critics out there never even attempted what you failed. And I think it's such a, you know, it's such a, you know, the people sitting up there pointing out all of your shortcomings and all your failures, they would never even have the, the balls to even try it in the first place. They, they're not even at the point where they could fail. So I think that's such a, that's such a good point. So the one last, the one last piece before I let you go. And again, Josiah Johnson, thank you so much for, you know, just your insight and, and joining us here and providing such a, another additional tool to our followers and fans here on you think. You know, I, we, I've seen, so when I came in the league and, and got drafted in 07, Twitter was just kind of coming out and we all got accounts and it really was to tweet stupid things where you were going to eat. And it was really, it, it was marketed and seen by NFL players and professional athletes as, you know, this is a way to get your voice out and it doesn't have to come through an interview. It's, you can speak directly to your fans and that's what it was. Now we've seen the evolution of it over the last, you know, decade plus of, Instagram videos and recruiting and how colleges are discovering athletes and how athletes are building NIL packages. And it's really taken on a life of its own, you know, in just your time and experience in the space, like what's the next frontier 
Like, what's the next step that social media um, is going to be used as a stepping stone in youth sports or beyond? Like, where do you see it going? You've seen everywhere it's been, but like, where do you see the next big breakthrough, good or bad, where you see social going and either helping or hurting young athletes? Well, I think for me, social has really brought balance to the force, right? Back in the day, I remember as a kid, you know, reading newspaper articles and, and you read an article about maybe a guy on the team and, you know, it'd say some inflammatory negative stuff about this guy. And you would just think, oh, well, this this journalist must just be an honest human being. Like, certainly he doesn't have any biases or anything like that. So whatever he's saying must be gospel. Now, as you get older, you start to learn that, like, you know, a lot of these these reporters, whatever, they've got relationships with agents, they've got messages they need to to put out there and, and things like that. So, you know, it gives athletes a voice and opportunity, which is an amazing, incredible thing. But like I say about anybody, everybody's going to project their best image onto social media, right? They're not going to put the negative stuff, right? It's only going to be the highlights, the positives. So it's hard to find that that balance where athletes can actually be true to themselves and talk about the good and talk about the bad. But I think we're in a landscape in a world, like you mentioned, we don't need these big media platforms anymore. You want to announce your retirement, you can do it on your own social media accounts, you know, whenever you feel like it, however you feel like doing it. You want to give a press conference after a game, you know, you can give the media a bunch of canned answers, go home, you know, look at a guy like Draymond Green, and I'm, I'm a big fan of Draymond and what he's done with the new media, but I'm also a big fan of Draymond because he's honest about himself. Look, I didn't play good today. I sucked. I needed to improve, but here's why. He's tough on himself, but he, he's honest and accurate about it. It's not just, hey, it was everybody else's fault, not me. So I think social social is going to keep getting bigger and bigger. I think you look at, again, like a lot of these traditional media outlets and media companies, you know, look at the way that ESPN moves or look at the way that, you know, I don't even know, uh, uh, Bleach Report or any of these companies now, a lot of their content is now, directly sourced from athletes, right? You put a tweet up, now I'm taking your tweet and putting a photo on it of saying whatever. LeBron puts an IG story up of, hey, he got some, you know, a, a crown on his tooth. Everybody now is using and sourcing that as information. Back in the day, athletes didn't really have the ability to do that and the ability to control their own narrative. A guy like Kevin Durant, who we talked about earlier, KD can now, you know, somebody says, hey, Kevin said this or Kevin said that. There's a report out. Kevin can go directly on his social account and say, no, I did not say that. I did not do that. I don't feel this way, whatever it may be. So it's extremely empowering. I think especially now we're in a world where NIL is like the wild, wild west. And for me, I wish there was a little bit more regulation on it. But I was a big, even when I was in college, advocate. You know, I went to UCLA uh, right across town, USC football. You know, they, they ran the city at that point. And a guy like Reggie Bush, and I look at the way the guy, a guy like Reggie Bush was treated by the NCAA, you know, forced to give his Heisman back, you know, forced to do this, forced to do that. And I always look like, yo, this dude was severely underpaid. I don't care how much money you gave him in college. Like, you know, us at UCLA's campus pondered the notion of buying a number five SC jersey just because of the impact he had on the city. But it goes, you know, you would go to those games. And the thing I like to say about that is like, yo, Reggie basically got punished, right? Did SC give back revenue from the tickets they sold, from the bowl games they won, you know, from, from the monies they made off of jerseys? No, of course not. So there's there's a shift happening. And, and, and for me, it was always bothersome. I see somebody like Coach K making $10 million a year, and you got a guy like Zion Williamson on your team who's literally relegated to a scholarship check. It's, it, 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 it's asinine. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But we're in a world in a space now, especially with social. Social is only going to continue to grow. Uh, I think, you know, I was it was funny. I was watching the, the Manti Teo doc, and this is kind of random a little bit off, off, off subject, but watching that Manti Teo doc, thinking about what Facebook and MySpace used to be during those times. And everybody kind of jumped on Manti for getting cat, catfish and all that good stuff. 
But I can tell you off the top of my head, 10, 15 guys I know who got catfished in similar situations back then because it's MySpace. You saw an account with a bunch of photos in your head, you know, it was positive. So you just wanted to assume that this was a real person or whatever it may be. You know, we had there, there was a catfish making the rounds across the NCAA basketball scene that became just like a, you know, a, a, a cautionary tale for all of us about how to really do your due diligence because it can be extremely convincing. I look at it now especially in the world now, I don't know about you, but my phone rings 40 times a day with random area codes, or whatever, or random text that looks so convincing and so believable, or random email, so believable, just click this link and we'll, we'll, you know, you got fraud in your credit card or whatever, click this link and we'll fix it, that you have to take a step back and like key in on like, yo, this is not real. They're trying to steal my account or they're trying to, they're going fishing or whatever, but this stuff is so believable to your eyes. So I think when you just look at kind of what social is and what the landscape is, again, project the best image of yourself, but also just be a, be a good person, especially everybody in the youth sports community. You know, use these social platforms that you have for good. Don't use them for evil. Like, use them to be able to advance your life, advance your career, you know, support your family, brand yourself. Give opinions that you believe, but also be mindful of whatever you put out. There's always, you know, I look at a guy like LeBron. LeBron can tweet, hey, I'm hungry, and that'll you know, take a 24-hour news cycle of people trying to figure out what he means. Is he hungry to go to the Cavs? What does he want? You know, is he hungry to leave the Lakers? Like, whatever. Like, they can just take take your words, twist them, mangle them. So I feel like social gives athletes the ability to control their narrative a lot. But we're also dealing in a world in the landscape where there's so many people just stirring the pot just for their own joy. I mean, I look especially on Twitter now. Instagram, I don't know if it's as bad. But you got kids that create accounts on Twitter just to hate on athletes, just to, you know, anything a LeBron or a Steph or whoever posts just to say the most inflammatory, out-of-pocket negative stuff that they could think of to get a rise out of them. You know, I played with uh, Matt Barnes at UCLA, and I recall Matt a, a couple months ago, some guy, you know, went personal, started talking about his family and stuff, and Matt's like, you know, like, like this is kind of crossed the line, I'm going to come find you. And then the dude's like, oh, no, I'm just kidding, Matt, I love you, I'm a big fan. <laughs> and it, I'm just looking like, you're just yeah. kidding, you, you love him, you're a big fan, but then why are you doing those things? that are going to put yourself in that position. And I can't explain it now. Social, I've said before, is like a drug, right? It's like you become a fiend that's kind of craving that fix. You want those hits. You want those likes. You want those retweets. You need the views on that video because if I have a bunch of views on that video, that means people like me. If I don't have a bunch of views on that video, that means nobody likes me and whatever it may be. So I'm even, again, guilty of it. But as I've gotten older and I've gotten to see the light a little bit, I try to use even my platform and my voice just to be like, look, man, you, you know, you're not as bad as the worst thing you've ever done. You can always come back from whatever it may be, obviously within certain reason and limits, of course. But you don't have to let social define who you are. But while you are using it, use it to your advantage. You know, take advantage of these things. You're not going to be able to 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 move how you want to, and that's anything in life, right? As you get, I think in college, especially as a college athlete, we think that we're just going to control the world. We think life's going to be like campus once we get off of it, where we're you know treated like guys and. You get free food at restaurants and everybody loves you and everybody wants an autograph. Then slowly but surely at some point, and this is tough. I know, Paul, you can speak to this a lot better. some point, you know, that light starts to fade, right? And now you're not the star NFL player anymore, the star NBA player, the star college basketball player. And you got to go live your real world. I deal with that, you know, personally. My, I went from UCLA to working as a PA at NFL Network. So I went from literally being big man on campus to literally go get coffee for Rich Eisen. You know, that that that's yeah. your gig. And, you know, I'm 6'8", and everybody's just looking at me like, damn, well, you know, you must have sucked at basketball. And hide your life. But now you got to just take those moments. And I was guilty of it, too. I would look at guys whose careers didn't pan out. Like, why are you working a regular job? Like, you were you were really good at basketball. Like, you know, but that's just not how it pans out. So I think for, for parents especially, man, on the youth side and kids, like, be mindful of social. Use it to your advantage. 
And, uh, you know, especially just know now that it's not going anywhere. It's only going to get worse. Not worse, but it's only going to get bigger. And you're going to have to deal with a lot of stuff. You know, you might be, just be minding your business one day. You're going to have a troll say something crazy to you that just came out of left field, came out of nowhere. That just is what it is. So you got to have super thick skin. Uh, rely on the people, your support system around you that are going to be able to help you, be able to guide you, and really trust and be able to identify and key in on the people that really love you for who you are versus the people that love you for what they think you can do for them. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's so helpful and it's so it, it's such good insight and such good perspective. So again, J- Josiah Johnson, NBA King of Twitter. I, I I encourage all of you guys if you're not following him, please please do it because it is an absolute it is a blast and 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 it's a mix of funny and informative and it, it's just it's just really good. Um, co-host uh, co-host his own po- uh, podcast called Out of Pocket. Just really involved in the in not only the social scene but just the the entertainment and content scene. So Josiah, I, I can't thank you enough for for taking some time out of your schedule to come join us and kind of share this perspective and share kind of what you're seeing in real time in the world of social and how it pertains to to young kids, both for their betterment and also potentially uh, for the worse. So I, I thank you so much for for joining us and uh, we really appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. Thank you, bro. I appreciate you. Hope you enjoyed our latest episode uh, here on You Think, uh, presented by Audiorama and Body Armor with Josiah Johnson. I, I think so much of of what Josiah had to share is so relevant in today's world. You know, every kid, I, I know countless, you know, middle school kids and and sometimes younger. They all have social media accounts. They're all very active. My own kids, um, you know, they're on. They can go on TikTok and they they know every youth player. They know every viral highlight. I mean, they they get. That's how they get their information. That is their source of sports highlights source of sports information is through the world of social media and, and, and it's fun and it's a great way for them to, to be exposed to different things. But then they're also, there's a lot of pitfalls. There's a lot of negatives that if not navigated properly, um, you know, that can cause a lot of stress and cause a lot of trouble, especially with young kids. So I think for Josiah, you know, to share with us a lot of the things that he shares with the, the young, the young athletes and the young you know, the young adults that he mentors, um, into the best practices and the uses of social, both how to use it for your own benefit, but then also how to avoid, you know, some of the, some of the downturns and some of the struggles. So I think it's a super relevant conversation for today. Hopefully you guys, uh, you know, I know I took it home to, to my kids and we had a good, nice evaluation of our use of, of, um, of social and and the manner in which we're going to use it and the manner in which we're not going to use it. So hopefully you guys had a similar uh, takeaway from it. And um, at this point, as always, we are going to get into our fan questions. I'm going to bring in my great producer, Tasha. Tasha, what's happening? And uh, see what ta- see what Tasha has in store. What do you got for us today, Tasha? Yeah, what's going on? Um, one of our first fan questions has to do a little bit with social media. It says, what do you think about kids getting famous before they are actually professionals? You know, I, I think... I think like most things, and and I think Josiah really, you know, addressed a lot of this in our conversation. I think like a lot of things, there's the good and there's the bad, right? I think we're seeing a lot of kids, you know, to start with the good, I think we're seeing a lot of kids get exposure, you know, whether it's to academies or whether it's to a elite travel team or whether it's just, you know, exposure through the recruiting um, ranks, just kids that otherwise would fly under the radar years ago now have an outlet that they can get themselves seen by coaches and scouts and, 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 and what have you and get opportunities. Right. And I think that's the biggest thing that we all want for all athletes is 
have the opportunity to showcase your abilities. And if you're good enough and if you, if you work hard enough and do the things the right way, you should be rewarded as such. And I think uh, social media is one of those vehicles right now where it, it, you can get noticed if, if you use it the right way and you have a talent and you have something that people are drawn to. Social media is an incredible platform for, for you to, to be noticed and, uh, and, and hopefully open some of those doors that otherwise would be closed. But then on the flip side, you know, I think the, the, the negatives that go along with the positives are, you know, you can really enter a world that you may not be mentally, socially, emotionally ready to enter. You know, you talk about walking into a gym and you're a 16 year old kid, but because you have 2 million followers on TikTok or on Instagram, you walk into a gym and that entire gym is there to watch you. And for every person who's there to cheer you on, there's five people looking for you to fail right? They want to see, are you going to be the next highlight? Are you going to be the next guy to get dunked on? Are you going to be the next DB to get, you know, mossed or, you know, topped or whatever they call it now? Uh, You know, it's, it's real, right? So I think these kids are now entering a world that we, you know, we as professional athletes were used to walking into hostile environments, people cheering against you, people rooting for your demise. But, you know, sometimes in, in professional athletes cases, they struggled with such spotlight, right? They struggled with such pressure and now it's getting younger and younger that it's now to kids that aren't even in high school yet. You know, I, I just think that's very hard for young kids to, to deal with. I think they have to be prepared. I think they have to really get an education into, okay, well, you've opened up this can of worms now because you do have a, you know, you do have a bigger name. You do have a, you know, a spotlight on you that people are going to, yes, they're going to come to cheer for you, but they're going to also come to cheer against you and hope you fail and, 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 uh, and whatnot. So I think this is a, it's a very delicate balance right now. We're entering into where there are young kids that are celebrities. There's young kids that are making money. There's young kids that are influencers. And with that, there's a lot of good, but with that comes a lot of scrutiny and comes a lot of pressure. And, you know, I think time will tell what effect it has on, these young, you know, student athletes, these young athletes in general, but just young kids in general, whether you're an athlete or not, social media comes with a ton of pressure. It comes with this mindset that I need to put forth a certain image of perfection and everything in my life is great. When in all reality, that's not the truth, right? Everyone has their struggles and everyone is so worried about sharing those out of fear of, of what the response is going to be to, you know, my so-called fans on social media. So I think this is going to be, um, something for us all to keep our eye on. But I I think me personally, I think it's scary. Do you think it creates strife within a team if someone has more followers or more sponsorships? I I don't see how it doesn't. You know, I I think about that all the time in the college world, right? We're, We're all in the locker room. And I think back to being in the locker room in college, we were all pretty much in the same boat. We all got the same, you know, monthly scholarship stipend. We all lived in a relatively similar either dorm or you know, off-campus apartment or like we all lived a pretty similar existence as college student athletes. But now that that's no longer the case. You know, if you're, if you're the quarterback at Ohio state and Alabama and Texas A&M, I mean, you're living, you're living the life of a professional athlete. You have hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions that you have access to. You're driving $200,000 cars from a local dealership. You're eating at fancy restaurants. You have 2 million followers on TikTok and Instagram. I mean, you are living the life of a professional athlete at, you know, in some cases, 18, 19 years old. So if you're the third string center or the you know third string backup middle linebacker, you're probably not living that same lifestyle. So I don't know. I think I I'd love to talk to, you know, as we continue to have these conversations, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk with college coaches and get an idea of what does that look like in the locker room and how do you manage 
those egos and manage those, um, you know, those, those, that kind of that disconnect. So yeah, I, I think that's a challenge. I, I think right now as a, as a coach at the college level, I think that's every bit your job is to manage what's going on inside your locker room as it relates to the platforms and the, you know, the, the spotlight that these kids are able to grow. That's good. Well, our second fan question is the best way to handle kids that get physically upset after striking out or even making a bad play. Well, I'll tell you this, this one hits close to home because I've had to, I've had to deal with some of this stuff with my own kids, right. Where, you know, they strike out and Hmm. you know, when they, when they're little, they want to cry in the dugout and they want to, you know, hit their bat. And, you know, and I just, I have zero tolerance for that stuff, you know? So I think the easiest thing is, all right, Hey, you were supposed to be in the next inning or quarter or series, whatever sport you're playing. Now you're going to sit, right. You're, you're not going to be punished because you struck out. You're not going to be punished because you dropped the ball or what you missed the bat, whatever the sport is. You're not going to be punished for the failure. You're going to be punished for your attitude, right? You're going to be punished with how you handled that failure Mm. because that's unacceptable. Right. And I, and I've said this before on this show, so much of the youth sports experience in my mind, just me personally, and not everyone agrees with this, is teaching these kids through the world of sports, the real world, right? There, there is, you know, some kids get more opportunities than others. Some kids play more than others. Some kids have better attitudes and get rewarded. And the kids with the bad attitudes don't get, you know, they get punished. Like there are real life consequences that come with your actions, your attitude, your work ethic, your behavior. What kind of teammate are you? Are you a hard worker? Are you lazy? Like all those things translate into the rest of your life. And I'm a big believer that that's really what, when a kid, when a parent drops their kid off at my practice, to me, that's my first job. I'll teach him how to get in a stance. I'll teach him how to catch a ball or field a grounder or shoot a basket. Like to me, that's secondary. As a parent, I want whoever coaches my kid, I want them to hold them accountable. I want them to tell them the truth. I want them to, you know, I want them to connect on all those things. And then, yes, I want them to get better at whatever particular skill or sport they're working on. But so that, that's something that is a constant battle, especially at the ages that I'm coaching now with the kids being as young, you know, nine, 10, 11 years old. You know, there is still a little bit of that, right? That the, the baby stuff does come out at times and they are young and, and it's, I get it. But, um, at the same time, um, you can't tolerate it. You have to, you have to find a way to hold them accountable and try to break that action because, you know, when they do it, when they're nine and 10, okay, but they can't continue that attitude through middle school and high school. The, the coaches aren't going to put up with it. They're, you're going to, you know, that kid's going to end up hurting himself, you know, whether he's a good player or not, he's going to end up hurting his chances to succeed because, you know, no coach is going to put up with that. Yeah. I love that sports teaches. Like it's not, if you fail, it's how you handle the failure. Anyway. So our third question is my second grader loves flag football, but is on a historically bad team. I want to make sure that he has all of his options as he grows up. And I'm even considering moving to another state so he can be a part of my hometown's youth program. Am I overthinking this? (laughs) I mean, I think moving, I think moving your entire family over second grade flag football is a bit aggressive. And listen, I, you're not going to find many more people that take it as serious as my family and want my kids to be around other good kids and other good coaches. And so I, I'm not judging anyone's level of, I'm, you know, this is, yeah. you know, I'm not throwing stones at other people, but it's second grade flag football. I think I would imagine, I don't know where this person lives, but I would imagine that without moving to your home state, you could probably find a better flag football team or a better youth sports experience somewhere in your local community. 
I imagine it's out there. If your team is constantly being beaten by other teams, obviously those teams are better than you. So like just maybe next year, try out for that league or go into that organization. Like it seems to me like there's a couple steps right now before you just start like moving for flag football. Um, you know, but I think to, to the bigger point of the conversation is, and we've talked about this with, with Dr. Gervais, find an environment that your kid loves and then put them in the environment that might be just a little outside of their comfort zone talent wise or, or how they're pushed because that's where they're going to see the most growth, right? So if your kid really does love flag football and you know, if they're historically bad and he loves it, let's just assume he's one of the better players. He's not going to continue to grow and develop and his love for the game could diminish if the experience every game day is a nightmare, right? And he might like the kids, but at some point he's not going to be in second grade anymore and winning is going to be important and, you know, getting better and playing around other, you know, better kids who take it more seriously and better coaching, like all that at some point is going to matter. So put him into a program where he can get that level of instruction. He can keep his passion and love for the, for the sport, but be around other kids who maybe are just as passionate as him. So that would be my advice to this parent. Um, I don't necessarily think you need to move, you know, move over it, but there, there should be other options in your community that you can put your child on where they can find a sport they love and play with other like-minded families who have a similar approach that you do. That's good. Well, that's all we have today for our fan questions. Keep submitting them. We love hearing from you guys. You could submit them on TikTok, Instagram, or Twitter at you think or at Greg Olson. And thank you guys so much, Tasha. Thank you as always. I appreciate it. The fan questions have become a highlight of, uh, of every week's episode. So we love hearing from you guys. And as always, you guys can rate review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, thank you so much as always for following us and, and joining us on this journey here on you think. And uh, until next week, we look forward to talking to you guys and seeing you then. Thanks. Thanks.